this is Hunting Land, the podcast for landowners and land hunters with how-tos for habitat management and land investment. If you own, manage, or dream of owning land, this is the podcast for you. Joe, you know, the debate is always around to bait or not to bait, how to do it, what's legal, what's not. There's a lot of opinions floating around, at least in our neck of the woods. You run into that much? You know, in Florida, baiting is legal. And uh, it's not it's not all it's cracked up to be. I grew up hunting in Alabama. I still hunt in Alabama every year. I've hunt I hunt in Florida as well. So I've I've done I've hunted over bait. I've, I personally don't enjoy it. It's not for me. Uh, I don't have anything against anybody who does. But that being said, it's legal now. And you know, I, I just think we need to examine it and really look at it not only from a, an ethics and a fair chase perspective, but also. Let's talk about the the money. Let's follow the money a little bit, and let's see if if it's really a net positive for wildlife or not. Uh, I think we're going to answer those questions today on the show. We've got Chuck Sykes. He's the director of the Alabama Wildlife and Freshwater Fisheries. Chuck, welcome to the show. The big news is, of course, that Alabama has legalized baiting. Tell us a little bit about uh, about the bill and, and what's legal. Let's just get it all out there and make sure everybody understands what's going on. All right, Joe, thanks for having me on today to clarify this because, as you said, this is what's dominated the news the past couple of weeks. Our legislature has been trying to do it for the past, I know, six years, ever since I've been in the position. And the stars lined up this year and they, they got it passed. And there's a lot of misconceptions out there. There's a lot of rumors floating around. So uh, we can talk about it today and try to get all the facts out there and let people decide for themselves whether uh, they want to hunt over bait or not. What the bill does is still illegal to feed on public land, but on private property, if you choose to hunt over bait, you can hunt white-tailed deer and feral swine over bait. There's no hundred yards or out of sight. If you just want to feed and you want to shoot a deer eating a pile of corn, all you do is buy a baiting privilege license. So I buy my baiting privilege license and my wife goes yep. and she sits with me in the deer stand and I shoot, I'm the shooter. I got my gun or my bow and my wife's there with me. Does she have to have that baiting license as well? All right. It is a license just like any other license. So I'll frame it to you this way. If your wife holds your backpack, if you kill a deer and you're dragging it out and she holds your gun and backpack for you while you're dragging, she is participating in that hunt. So she's going to have to have a hunting license. Well, if she does all of that and there's a pile of corn out in the middle of the food plot, yes, she is going to have to have that baiting license because she is participating in the hunt. Does that make sense? Basically, as an insurance policy, if you're in the woods and you're hunting, make sure everybody's got a hunting license and make sure. And if you've got bait or you're not sure if there is bait and you're hunting somebody else's land, get a $15 baiting license. That's right. And let's just break it down to the simplistic form on any license. Hunting does not necessarily involve shooting or killing. So it involves the act of pursuing wildlife. So if if I've got a kid, you know, the first weekend of a gun season and I carry his backpack with him, I'm participating in that hunt because 
I've aided him in in the hunt. So if you go out there and you're helping someone do anything, if I'm calling a turkey for a kid this spring, I've got to have a hunting license because I am participating in that hunt. Whether I pull the trigger or not, I'm assisting in the hunt. Makes sense. And this baiting license for me personally, whether I agree with it or not, really doesn't matter. I'm going to purchase one because it's an insurance policy for me. I can go hunt with who I want to, and I don't have to worry if they did everything right. That's the way I'm looking at it personally. Let's talk about some, you know, maybe some interesting and somewhat, I would say, odd scenarios, but possibly could play out. Let's talk about maybe like a fall turkey season. If you've got a fall turkey season uh, that's coinciding with a deer season and you're baiting deer, how does one stay within the law if they're hunting fall turkeys? Do you just have to make sure now, is it kind of getting back to where it was? You just got to make sure you're not around that bait? Or- absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Then because this, this baiting license applies to nothing but deer and feral swine everything else you you fall back to that are you hunting by the aid of bait so if i'm hunting fall turkeys i'm not gonna have any feed on my property right same thing with doves or any kind of federally ducks or anything federally regulated you know just because it's legal to have it out you got it on a food plot and you're out there dove hunting too close to it you're susceptible to that. So you got to make sure. That's right. Yeah. I mean, look, people have got to have some common sense. Sure. And there's always going to be strange scenarios out there. So with this, all it does is for deer and feral swine, and it makes it legal for you to hunt over feed. Now, here's another thing. It is not mandatory that you put out feed. So all of this stuff is going around Facebook. Well, now they're forcing me to do it. No, nobody is forcing you to put out feed. Just because your neighbor chooses to do it, that does not mean that you have to do it. This is, I don't think it's going to be the panacea that everybody thinks it is. This is going to be the silver bullet. You know, all the big deer are going to come walk out and eat a pile of corn. I still think the, the property owner or leaseholder that manages his property properly with burning and food plots and timber management and all that, they're going to win in the long run. A pile of corn is not going to fix that. Just a anecdotal experience hunting in Florida, some where feeding is legal, baiting is legal. I haven't, I ever really don't see that it, it gives you that much of an advantage myself. The problem I see with it is that, on a, from a hunting perspective, if you're using a feeder, those deer get conditioned to that feeder going off. They know that it's there and available. And they just wait till not the nighttime to go and 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 utilize that food source because uh, they're comfortable that it's going to continue to be there. Also, they still even if they're even if the bait's there, they're not packing their bellies full of corn uh, or whatever kind of feed you're using and stopping their browsing uh, on native vegetation. So I really, do, I mean, from my personal experience, I haven't seen that it does create an unfair advantage. In fact, it, for me, it's just kind of kind of annoying in a way i I mean i don't don't want to go up there and ride all over my property and and have to uh put out feed every weekend and and do all that it's it's actually it just creates kind of a lot more work but as a biologist okay put your biologist hat on for a little while what do you think about the the congregation of of animals uh, around a feeding station How, how does this play into that and overall 
what protections are in place for that scenario? And if we were to have some, you know, we've got chronic wasting diseases all around us. What scenarios or uh, protections are there to protect us from some of those disease scenarios? All right. And I'm glad you brought that up because this is another thing that all the Facebook geniuses are, are, are throwing out. <laughs> Clint, have you been trolling Chuck on Facebook? Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> we have been opposed to this bill every year except this year. And the money, the license has been attached to this bill for the past several years. So all the people that are saying it's all about the money, that's not correct. When we saw that the stars looked like they were going to line up for this bill to pass this year, we met with the sponsor and said, will you please consider doing this? And we added an amendment that luckily and thankfully the sponsor agreed to that says in the event of a disease, the commissioner of conservation has the authority to suspend baiting, but more importantly, regulate feeding of wildlife okay it as we all know that it's legal to feed in alabama 365 days a year you just can't shoot anything over it mm-hmm. so even if cwd would have come in six months ago we would have tried to stop feeding of wildlife because an unhealthy congregation of animals getting back to your question is a bad thing if one of them is sick but until this bill passed, personally, I don't know that we could have made that stick. So it sounds like what so, you're saying is before this bill passed, everybody was feeding. Now, they weren't hunting over it legally. They had to have it 100 yards away and out of sight to be able to hunt near it. But they were st- it was still a congregation of, of feed and that these animals were utilizing. And you had no way, the state had no way to stop that practice if we were to experience CWD or any, any of the other uh, communicable diseases yep. that so now deer have. This bill gives us the authority to make wise management decisions. Now, now going back, just, just biologically speaking here, I don't want people to think that corn is going to create a disease in deer. It may have some aflatoxin in it. It could make some songbirds sick. It could make a turkey or a quail sick. The issue with feeding or baiting or whatever you want to term it is if one of those animals is sick, there's a greater chance of another animal getting sick if they're all eating in the same spot. It's no different if I have the flu and I go to the office and I just stay in my office, it's a less chance of me infecting someone than if me and 10 of my coworkers go sit in a tiny conference room all day. So it, it was hard for me as a biologist and as a director to get up and beat the drum and say, baiting is bad, baiting is bad, biologically baiting is bad. Because I try not to be a hypocrite, And corn at 100 yards is the same corn as corn at 10 yards. So baiting to me is not a biological issue. It is a hunting ethics issue. It is a personal preference issue. It's a fair chase issue. So now, in my opinion, our department is in a better shape to manage deer in our state after this bill passed than before because it 
legislatively gives us the authority to manage not only baiting, but feeding of wildlife. Let's step back to that accusation, and you'll see it any, anywhere that this topic's being discussed, online or off, you're going to hear somebody say it's all about the money. And yep. you already addressed that when you know you said, hey, the money aspect of this has been attached to it every time it's been proposed and, and, and essentially shut down. Uh, this year is no different. Let's talk about that money a little bit. How does the cost of this license, $15 for residents and $51 for non-residents, how does that benefit conservation? When this bill, I'm going to say, Joe, it was probably four years ago when the sponsor came to me and said, look, I think we're going to get this passed this year to help it. We're going we're gonna to make people buy a sticker and put on their feeder and we'll get y'all some money. And I said, you know, we're not going to turn down any money. You know, we don't get any money from the general fund. It's, it's all licensed dollars. So we're not going to turn down any money. But I said, if you're going to do that, please don't do a sticker where my officers are going to have to go walk through the woods, look at feeders repeatedly, interrupt people's hunts. All it's going to do is put us in a bad spot. If you're going to do it, make it a license where people can buy it online, just like any other license. If an officer checks you, it's real easy to tell if you're legal or not. And we can use that license to count hunters for our federal match. Now, this is where it gets kind of sticky. And I'll just give you me as an example. We'll use me. Alabama gets money through me buying a hunting license, just straight state dollars, if I buy a $27 hunting license. All right, well, I am counted as a hunter in the state of Alabama, and that goes to our apportionment of our federal PR dollars that I think most of your listeners understand when you buy a gun or ammunition, a portion of that money goes into a fund that we have access to based on the number of hunting licenses we sell. All right. What the sponsor added in this bill that really helped as far as monetarily goes is there are no exemptions. So a hunter hunting on their own property that they own in Alabama doesn't have to have a license. Someone who's 65 or older or someone who is 16 and younger does not have to have a license. So that's three big pieces of the pie that we're giving away that reduces the amount of those PR dollars that we can bring back to Alabama. Well, when they drafted this legislation, they said there are no exemptions. If you hunt over feed, if you hunt over bait, you have to have a baiting privilege license. All right. So for me personally, it does us no good. If I buy the baiting license, I cannot be counted more than once. And I was already counted as a hunter when I purchased a hunting license. But for example, my 76-year-old father, who hunts on his own property, hadn't shot a deer in probably 50 years. But if he goes and sits with me and there's corn out in the field, he's going to have to have that baiting license and we can count him as a hunter. So it's the kind of confusing. Well, but the net effect is the previously exempted classes who were hunting are now, when they hunt over bait, are now going to need to purchase a license. And that, in effect, is going to bring more money into 
conservation of wildlife. Absolutely. That, that's the bottom line in the most simplistic form. Those hunters that have been exempt and never bought a license, if they buy this bait license, we can count them for the first time in the history of Alabama. We can count them as hunters, and that will allow us to get to more of those federal dollars. I'll look forward to checking back with you in the future, maybe after we've had a year of this under our belts, and it'd be interesting to see what the, uh, what the net effect is. Um, it, sound, it sounds like a positive as far as revenue for conservation. I think it can be, Joe, really and truly. I, I, as I said earlier, when the sponsor added the amendment that gave us the authority to manage feeding, to me, everything else is gravy on top of that. That, as a biologist and as a director, that was the most important thing for the department. But also as a director who's looking at budgets and putting officers in the field and funding wildlife management, the more money we can get, the more positives we can do. So absolutely, the money that's generated off of this is going to be a positive for wildlife management in Alabama. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, When we come back, we're going to be continuing to talk about legalized baiting and what are some best practices to, to make your hunting more effective. Hey guys, we get a lot of landowners that want to know, how much is my land really worth? We've recorded a video series to explain exactly how we determine that. Just head over to landhunting.com slash go to get the series. I'm confident it will help you achieve your land goals. And we're back. Today we are talking with Chuck Sykes. He's the director of the Alabama Wildlife and Freshwater Fisheries. So Chuck, for those guys who are not going to hunt over bait, and I'm probably one of those guys, haven't done it before. Personally, I I don't enjoy it personally. But... No, I don't have any problems with anybody who does or anything like that. It's it's per, just a personal preference. I'd rather scout and, you know, find natural trails and vegetation, so on and so forth. But for the guy like me who's not going to hunt over bait, what are the rules now for me? If you choose not to hunt over bait, the area definition is still in effect. So you can have a feeder more than 100 yards and out of the line of sight. Or if you're a purist, you don't have to have feed on your property at all. It is a personal preference situation where any landowner or any leaseholder can make a personal decision how they want to hunt. And like I've you. had quite a few people call and say, well, this forces the landowner to do this. No, it doesn't. If I'm a landowner and I have a strong conviction against baiting and I lease my property to you and Clint to hunt on, in my lease, I can say, you will not hunt over bait on my property or this voids the contract. Right. It's that simple. Right. This is a personal preference. It's mandated. And I think as a, you know, most of the folks that listen to this podcast are, are landowners or want to be landowners. Like you said earlier, you can bait all you want, but that's not going to make up for proper habitat management. If you said, Joe, here's 40 acres with bait on it, and here's 40 acres that's been burned, I'm going to hunt the burn every time. Sure. There is no quick fix in wildlife management. You know that as well as I do. Using feed, whether it's supplemental feed during the off-season to help improve the nutrition of the property, or corn in September to try to inventory your deer, or hunting over bait, it is just a tool. It's not the silver bullet. And if it's used improperly, as you mentioned, it's not going to do any good. 
if every time three or four deer walk to that feeder and somebody gets shot at, eventually they're going to figure it out and they're going to quit coming. <laughs> That's a fact. <laughs> yeah. That is a fact. Chuck, have you, has there been any opinions or studies done on how this could affect, you know, hunting tourism in the state? Um, bringing in more hunters. I mean, Alabama's already got one of the longest and most liberal deer hunting seasons in the nation. And, you know, to add this to it would seem like it would make it more attractive to folks from out of state. Honestly, I don't know that there's going to be 10 tons of corn more sold this year than it has been over the past couple of years. I think the people that have been feeding are going to continue to feed. They just may move that feeder from out of the edge of the woods into the edge of the field. I don't, I may be wrong. I just don't think it's going to make a profound effect on impact on the amount of corn sold or the amount of people coming into the state. I just think it's a personal satisfaction thing. Those people that have convinced themselves that it's better to hunt over feed and Alabama has been behind the times, whether they kill any more deer or not, they're going to be happy because they're sitting there looking at a feeder. I think it's just a, a, a hunting satisfaction thing. Yeah, I think that makes I'd sense. Be, I'm going to be interested to see, when you think about the economics of all this, just because baiting deer, hunting over bait, has been legalized does not mean that your average middle-class guy is going to make any more money to spend on hunting this year. I know I did not get a budget increase from my wife for my, my hunting expenditures just because baiting has been legalized. So. My curiosity and question is for the average guy who's hunting lease ground, maybe his dues at his club are $1,500 a year. Does that club stop planting food plots and start and just bush hog it and put a, put a feeder out in the middle of it so that they can keep those dues at $1,500 a year? Or are they going to say, hey, it's $1,500 a year we're planting our food plots and everybody's got to chip in an extra $200 to keep the feeders filled? We can't answer that on this show, but that's the only kind of concern I guess I have is if the feeling that you need to bait to compete with your neighbors decreases the amount of money that you're putting into habitat management, whether it's burning or food plots or timber stand improvements or whatever it may be. You know, I hope that that's not the case. I don't know that we'll answer that. I think I think if folks do that, they'll they'll get over that in a couple of years. I really do. I do too. I, I do think that there's going to be some clubs that's going to say, wow. This fixes our problem. We can save money. We can just put feed out. We don't have to plant. And I think by January, they're going to be kicking each other in the rear saying, what in the world did we do? (laughs) So there is going to be a few that's going to try it, but it's not going to be a substitute for proper management and hunting with some common sense. All right. Last legal question. What about hogs? So you can purchase a, a baiting license right now, correct? Yep. We've sold probably 350 or 400 of them since that bill passed, what, 10 days ago. If I uh, go ahead and get my license and I start baiting hogs uh, this summer, uh, the end of the spring and into the summer, is that valid for one year or does it renew like the rest of licenses? Where it's, no, it's it renews like the rest of them. So just like if I'm going fishing next week and I buy a fishing license, it's going to renew September 1. Gotcha. So, absolutely. And that, I'm glad you brought hogs up. We've been talking deer. But a lot of people think this is going to fix the hog problem. Man, now that I can shoot hogs over bait, we're going to uh, get control of them. <laughs> I challenge you. Right. <laughs> it ain't going to happen. If, if feeding hogs and killing hogs over feed was the solution, there wouldn't be a hog in Texas. 
That's right. If folks they're haven't hunted, than, I was just yeah. about to say they're, that a hog is a yeah, they're smarter, smarter creature, <laughs> way smarter than any deer ever thought about being. You yes. shoot him over a feeder, he ain't coming back. Never. No, I agree with that wholeheartedly. It, it might allow you to get them once, but they are much smarter. They're a humbling creature. If you if you really start to hunt yep. them, you'll you'll learn real fast that they're not deer. That's for sure. For hogs, trapping is the answer. For deer, habitat management is the answer. So we'll be able to watch both sides. Putting corn out to shoot a hog over is not going to fix that problem. And putting corn out to shoot a deer over is not going to fix the that problem. Habitat management fixes deer. Trapping fixes hogs. So it'll be interesting to see. I, I'm like you. I'm anxious to see how many people purchase a license, how many of them use it properly, how many of them don't. It'll be something to watch over the next year or so. So, Chuck, you're a landowner in the state, and let's talk about strategy a little bit. If you're going into next season, put your biologist hat on again. I mean, like you said earlier, you're going to buy a license for an insurance policy regardless. But if you own land in the state and you're never baited before, what do you think folks should do? Do you have a a feeling? uh, And if you do bait, what do you think are some best practices to to make your hunting more effective? Look, I'm a little bit odd when it comes to a typical wildlife biologist. When I was in private business, I recommended my clients, and I do it on my own property. I feed protein pellets during the during the off season. I I think a supplemental feeding program instituted properly can be a good thing, but it's like with anything else, properly. So I'm not going to change anything with what I'm doing, and I don't think a bunch of people are. And the ones that change just because they think their neighbors are doing it, they're going to be unsuccessful. So what, and I'll just tell you what I do on my personal properties and properties that I have managed. I feed free choice during the spring and late after turkey season through the summer, trough feeders with protein where the deer can get it when they want. Then when it comes to hunting season, I go to kind feeders that distribute a small amount where the deer can consume it before the raccoons and the hogs get it at night. That's how I have advised clients in the past to do it. I don't want a lot of feed on the ground because that can cause some problems. So I feed short bursts a couple of times a day, and it's off in thicket somewhere. It's not in the middle of a plot because it's just something for the deer. One thing that people need to think about, too, when it comes to feeding, we've already mentioned aflatoxin a little bit. But predators key in on these feeders as well. So they can be locations, ambush locations for bobcats and coyotes to figure out how they can get an easy meal. So you need to keep that in the back of your mind as well. Well, Chuck, it's uh, it's a it's really a remarkable time. I mean, never in my lifetime have you been able to do this in, in Alabama and I don't know. I, you know. I hope that overall, it does sound like there are some positive things within the system that, that are going to come from this. It gives you guys some more uh, flexibility in regards to management, and hopefully it brings in some more revenue for, for conservation projects around the state. I also hope that we as hunters and 
don't lose sight of, of what makes hunting fun, you know, and, and really the woodsmanship aspects of hunting. Cause I think that's my personal experience was that as a child growing up hunting, that was what kept me coming back was trying to figure it all out and having to yep. put, put the pieces together. And it wasn't, you know, just going and sitting and sitting over a bait pile. And I think that if, uh, if that's a young person's experience that they brought our, our hunting numbers will probably continue to decline. That's kind of boring, but, <laughs> but I, I hope that, uh, it'll be a net positive for the state and, and for hunters. And I wish you good luck. I'm, I'm glad I'm not in your position to have to, to field all the, the, the calls and, uh, and, and questions, but appreciate you coming on and, and sharing with us. I think we cleared up a lot of, a lot of questions today and, uh, We'll look forward to having you back on here again soon. Thank you, y'all. Have a good day. Thanks, Chuck. Well, Clint, that was a uh, that was a good overview with Chuck. I, there were some things I didn't realize were going on uh, with that bill. It sounds like I think you got to commend Wildlife and Freshwater Fisheries. It was pretty smart of them to work the the management of it into that bill. It was going to happen. It was inevitable. Uh, so, it sounds like they were able to work across the line, so to speak, and and get something put into that, that law that allows them the flexibility to make a change. If we do have some kind of disease that comes into the state and, uh, I don't know, it's, it's time will tell, but it, it does seem like overall a, a net, a net positive from, from what I heard time will tell. No, it, it was, you know, they were able to put in that safety net and then plus with the addition of being able to count those licensees as our permittees, however the phrase may be to, you know, gain more PR dollars, you know, those are the dollars that fund projects like the special opportunity areas and, and things like that, you know, that really try to bring more hunters in uh, and up and raise them into that mindset for life in the state of Alabama. I mean, that's, that's huge. Yeah. Uh, before the show today, I kind of had a negative feeling about it. Honestly, uh, I didn't, I don't know. I, didn't, I feel better about it. having talked to Chuck and really examine it from a lot of different angles. I didn't, I didn't feel good about it. I think, but I, from talking to him, I think he's right. I think the folks that don't want to do it aren't going to do it. And the folks that do will, and that's okay too, as long as they're staying within the letter of the law and we've got the ability to make management decisions. You know, if it, if it's something that affects the health of the health of wildlife, sounds like a good thing. What are you going to do? You, are you a bait hunter now? I like to put a little, put a little out to uh, get some pictures, but I'm going to be honest with you. First time I started seeing hogs in my pictures, I stopped. And yeah. They're a big discouragement for me. So. But I guess the, the it remains to be seen. Man, I tell you, I really enjoy driving up to the driving up to the camp on a Friday evening and getting in and making a cocktail and relaxing and just you know kind of anticipating going hunting the next morning and getting there now and having to sling fifty pound bags of feed and go fill feeders and or go spread it out in senderos or whatever. It's not for me. I'm not, I'm not going to do it. Uh, I think a lot of folks will try it and then they'll probably, <laughs> they'll probably wake up pretty quick. The way we had it is, is just fine. But anyway, that's going to wrap it up today. Thanks for listening guys. As always subscribe, rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like us to email you the podcast, you can uh, email us at pros at landhunting.com. And if you've got any questions you'd like to ask Chuck, we're, we're going to have him back on kind of review the the uh the baiting bill and the baiting law once it's been in effect for a while so send us an email pros at landhunting.com y'all stay safe out there we'll talk to you again next week